too many businesses learned the hard way that they should have taken the simple steps to protect themselves with a few legal must-haves rather than going through the pain of being ripped off, taken advantage of or in a dispute with a customer or competing business. And I'm not just talking about those businesses with online stores. If you have a website, whether it's brand new or 10 years old, whether it's five pages or 50 pages, and you haven't already put in place measures to protect yourself, your customers and your business, then this episode is for you. The Simply Standout Marketing Podcast is for you, the small business owner wanting to supercharge your marketing with simple, actionable strategies and inspiration so you can smash your goals and grow your business. Now it's your turn to discover what actions to take to make your business truly stand out and succeed. Let's get started. Today I'm excited to welcome to the show Riz McDonald, a lawyer with over 16 years experience and an entrepreneur who runs the innovative business Found Legal. Stay tuned to learn about the simple fixes for the most common legal mistakes businesses make, including developing must-have legal documents for your website and trademarking, so you can build your business without making costly legal mistakes. Hello, Riz, and welcome to the Simply Stand Up Marketing Podcast. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, it's so wonderful. Now, look, Riz, reading someone's bio gives us a tiny insight into you know who they are but I always like to dig a little deeper so that everyone listening can better understand you know the amazing guests that I actually have on the podcast and why they're so good at what they do so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do of course so I'm a bit of an entrepreneur slash lawyer and I've been a lawyer for oh my goodness more than 16 years now but I've also been a business owner uh, as well. Uh, I, I started being an entrepreneur, I think, when I was about eight years old, selling dolls, repurposing them and selling them for a profit. And I've always loved the idea of business. And when I got into law, uh, I wanted to do something special, uh, incorporating those entrepreneurial skills with uh, my legal knowledge and experience. And that's kind of how Found came about. And I started Find about nearly two oh it'll be two years tomorrow so it's um it's been a bit of a roller coaster but an amazing journey I love what I do and um I don't know if you need to know more sort of personal aspects but I'm from Wales originally by a bit of Scottish accent because I studied my law degree in Scotland ah yes and um and I have two wonderful children uh, a 10 year old and an 11 year old and uh 12 12 year old rather and as I was saying to you before um, they're both going on 21 I think um, <laughs> and uh, yeah th- that's me I guess in a nutshell. Yes oh well happy birthday to Found Legal. So, Thank you. So a lot of businesses don't get to that two-year mark well they don't even get to the one-year mark often. That's right and I'm hoping to change that. Yes, and look, I think it's such a wonderful thing because I know so many, especially small businesses, entrepreneurs, you know, solo operators, they, you know, it's uh, venturing into the the legal side of business is a hard thing to do and it's a very expensive thing to do. So I think there's definitely a need for, um, you know, businesses, you know, people like yourselves who are willing to help them and they don't have to go to some of the big big, big legal firms for some of that day-to-day, um, you know, legal things that we need. So I think it's fantastic that, you're, that you've started your business. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, look, I write 
and develop a lot of websites. And the one thing that I see over and over again is that rarely do small businesses you know, have the legal required, uh, the legal documents, you know, on their website. That is obviously before we start working with them. And, you know, what I find that's often because they don't deal with, you know, a lot of the legal requirements or they don't know about them. So can you actually tell us what legal documents should they have? You know, what type of businesses require them and and why they really need them? Sure, I'll I'll certainly do my best. But um, (laughs) uh, so basically, if you have a website, you should seriously think about having terms and conditions on your website along with um, a privacy policy. Um, they're the two sort of core documents, if you like, um, and why you should have them. Well, you know, a couple of reasons. Um, one is, uh, potentially it's a legal requirement. If you are collecting personal information on your website of your potential clients, um, if you want to set some sort of, I guess, boundaries and or clarity around how you provide your services, then they should be in your terms and conditions so that the customer has that clarity uh, as well. Um, and going into that a wee bit deeper, you know, Google and Facebook, etc., they all require you to have privacy policies and or terms and conditions as well. And, um, and they both protect you and your client. And then from a non-legal perspective, if you think about it, you know, would you shop from a website that doesn't have those, that kind of information? I know I wouldn't. Um, if somebody doesn't have if you do, if you're going to hand over personal information, but you don't know what that person's going to do with that information, do you really want to hand it over? Um, and if you're buying something, so whether it's an e-commerce business that sells physical products, or whether it's a services business that sells maybe digital products, um, you're going to want to know well. How soon am I going to receive that product? What's the return or refund policy, for example? Um, what am I allowed to do with that um, digital product, for example? As the owner of the website, you're going to want to, want to be clear that you own the copyright in any digital content on your website um, or any content on your website so that the end user knows what the rules are around using that content. So there's things that are going to protect you, the, the business owner, as well as give clarity and comfort to the user of your website services or products as well. Yeah, and even those people just collecting email addresses for so that they can email them. Um, I always tell my clients it's so important that they have that information because, as you say, uh, people are so much more savvy when it comes to knowing, you know, wanting to protect their information and going, well, are these people going to rip me off? Are they going to sell my um, email address on the on the dark web or goodness knows what people do with them these days? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and secondary to that as well is if you're planning to market to your potential customers who hand over their email, you, you can't just send them marketing material because they bought something from you. They need to have consented um, to being marketed to as well. So that's an important element. So that kind of brings in, um, uh, I'm going to be a little bit boring here and legalese, but um, the Spam Act. So you're not yep. allowed to send, you know, um, emails about your latest offers if that person hasn't consented to receiving those kind of emails. So you need to make sure. So for example, if you have a pop-up box on your website that offers 10% off on a purchase from your website or from your services or something like that, then you need to have um, uh, 
provisions in there, some language in there that allows the customer uh, to tick to say, yes, I would like to receive future marketing from you, uh, you know, for signing up as well. So you don't just, um, you know, take their email because they purchased from you and then start sending them marketing emails. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I also um, find that it's not only a legal requirement, but it's a user experience requirement because if people don't want to receive your emails and you send them something um, or they were sitting on the fence, then they're just going to hate you and block you and, and report you as spam, So, which is just absolutely. the worst thing that could happen. Yes, yes. And and with these things, these documents we've spoken about and these consents we're talking about, it's a combination of legal as well as user experience. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of the time it just gets put into the to the too hard basket or uh or, or people just don't understand that they actually need these type of documents. And I often get told by by clients and and friends that you know, oh well the old web developer they didn't tell me that you know we needed these things and what needed to be in there um yeah i mean obviously the best person to write legal documents is going to be a lawyer but not everyone can afford to pay a lawyer to to write their website policies for them what are the options um that they've got there and and also why shouldn't they copy from other businesses because i see that happen a lot um, well, copying is wrong for two reasons. One, it's, um, you know, you're breaching somebody else's copyright. Um, so you're breaking the law. Yes. Um, the other is when you're copying somebody else's, um, uh, you know, website terms and conditions or privacy policy, it might not be reflective of how you do things in your business. Um, so you might be copying over things that just don't apply to you or completely wrong. Um, so, uh, that's happened. And, uh, also sometimes people, when they're copying, they forgot to ch- forget to change the business names or URLs as well. <laughs> so, um, that's a bit embarrassing as well. Yeah. So illegal, yes, you know, they're... just not good, yep. you know, um, uh, camel come and bite you with your, uh, forgetting <laughs> to take your URLs out. Um, and also you might end up copying things that just don't apply to you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, what What are their options then? You know, if they're not going to copy well, from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there are a few options. Look, websites like if you're an e-commerce business and uh, you use a platform like Shopify, for example, they will have basic terms and conditions and basic privacy policy. Okay, but you need to make sure that that basic is enough, or whether it needs added to in some way or customized to suit what you do. Okay, uh, so that's a fairly good starting point. Um, or you can pay for templates as well. Uh, I sell templates and I try to, uh, I've put them together to be industry specific and I'm, you know, working on creating more as and when I get requests. Um, but, you know, and I'm not the only person out there offering uh, legal templates. So there's more of a choice these days around purchasing legal templates um, that are done for you. Uh, or, or you DIY rather. Yep. Um, and whether they're industry specific, that, that's one thing you need to check though. When you are using, say, Shopify's or Big Commerce or whichever platform you're using, and if they do offer those kind of basic templates, you need to make sure you go through them to, to ensure they align with what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. And also, uh, one thing to mention would also be that they're, um, specific to, your country or your state even because 
you know, privacy policies and, and terms and conditions and the law that you govern by is obviously not the same around the world. Correct, correct. And that's another thing to, yes, be careful of from when you're buying your templates. You know, if you're an Australian-based business, you shouldn't be buying from a US company, for example, and vice versa. So you need to be making sure that you're uh, purchasing um, website terms and conditions and privacy policies that are applicable to the, um, you know, the state or territory you're based in. So if you're based in Australia, it should be Australian law that governs. Yes. And what about uh, things along the line? See, uh, as an Australian myself, um, you know, we talk about the Australian privacy policy, but being an, you know, being able to work internationally, which so many can now, um, we're affected by, you know, the European GDPR. There's the Californian, can't remember what it's called with the, with regards to privacy. Do we, do the privacy policies that we use today need to reflect, um, you know, those, those very, very strict, um, privacy policies in other countries? Well, in terms of the California one, I can't really comment on that one. I don't know as much about that as yet. But in terms of GDPR, I do know that it, it's not where your base is, where your client's base. And so you do need to be compliant um, with GDPR. So, um, you know, so you do need to be mindful of the requirements. And they are slightly stricter than Australian laws. Um, and I do believe that Australian laws are in the process of getting updated to align more with GDPR. And to be honest, if you're operating in countries like Australia or the US or uh, UK, etc., then the privacy laws are, for the most part, fairly similar. But you shouldn't take that for granted that it's going to be the same as Australian law. And you need to be mindful that there may be additional um, requirements uh, so, for example, you may have seen on some websites that operate, um, you know, in Europe, having cookie pop, a cookie pop up and acceptance of the cookie policies, etc. You know, there's little nuances that are, are different to what are required, and uh, um, you know, each law may there may be different requirements. So, you need to be mindful of those as well. And it oh. does get tricky. I appreciate that. <laughs> it does. It does. I just updated the cookie policy on. On my website, and yeah, it it does. All of these things do make your mind boggle. Some days, I've got to say, absolutely. <laughs> and also, to be honest, you know, I also think what is good practice and what's a good customer user experience. And I think things being transparent, uh, telling them that you use cookies, and having the giving them the ability to opt out if they don't want to, um, you know, doing all those things, being mindful of that user experience as well, uh, goes a long way uh, um, to. Because if you look, look at GDPR, there's a lot of those kind of requirements and it's all about putting the power back in the user's hands, so to speak, yeah. um, so that they know exactly what's happening to their data, how it's going to be managed and, you know, how they're going to be treated with this particular service provider. So, um, you know, when you do those things, it's a, it's a good thing. It can be a painful thing to kind of get your head around, <laughs> but it's a good thing to do. And and also it's very important for building trust and, and building your own credibility because at the end of the day, if you want to keep doing business, you need to have, uh, you know, your customers or clients need to have trust um, in you and your business. Absolutely, yes. No. Now, what trouble can businesses get themselves into from a, a legal perspective by not having these doc documents? 
Well, uh, like I said, you know, if you are taking personal information um, and not uh, ensuring that there's a privacy policy on your website, then potentially you're breaching the law. Um, also, you know, when you offer, say, goods for sale, not having clarity uh, and having terms and conditions that comply with Australian consumer law, um, details around, you know, your refund or your sh- return policy, etc., then you're going to be in trouble uh, there as well and, and breaking the law potentially if you don't have the right terms and conditions that clarify those things and comply with the Australian consumer law as well. Um, there's other things though as well, and, and it's a two-way street here, and that is if you offer uh, a business um, and provide services where you have a website with your original content on there and you sell digital content, for example, then you're going to want to make sure you're protecting your intellectual property uh, from being copied and then commercialized as well. So your terms and conditions can help with that um, you know, as well and set clear boundaries around what a person purchasing that digital product from you can and cannot do with that digital product. Or if they're reading a blog, an original blog content on your website, uh, you know, it's for reading only, personal use only, not for you to go and copy and paste it and uh, present it as your own blog on your website, if you see what I mean. Yes, yeah. And look, I'm amazed at how often that happens and that um, I was actually just talking to someone yesterday about it and just went because they were questioning having that, I think, we were talking about a, in the terms and conditions policy, having that clause in there excluding competitors from downloading information from their website. And they said, oh, is it really necessary? And I said, well, actually, I think yes, because it's being the amount of individuals and businesses that are copying other people's, whether it be images or um, text, their intellectual property is huge and it's really quite damaging or can be damaging. Absolutely. Um, And it acts as a precaution uh, as well. Um, And, you know, ignorance is not bliss. Okay. And if you have those elements on your website, it's an extra bit of arsenal in your back pocket should anything go wrong to say, well, actually, you know, these are our terms and conditions. And you've, you know, when you're building up your case to prove, you know, there's been copyright infringement, for example, then uh, those things will help you. Yes. Yeah. And do you know, you know, to put you on the spot, can you think of any instances where things like your privacy policy and your copyright and all the rest of it have been used in in a dispute or, um, you know, where businesses have uh, businesses found themselves unprotected because they didn't have them on their website? Uh, absolutely. Um, so my role is to be proactive, but I have had clients who've come to me because um, they weren't and they're, beca- they're having to be reactive. Um, and, and there's been situations where somebody's uh, bought uh, digital product from my client and then onsold that product as an original piece of work to some other unsuspecting client. Um, and, um, because the terms and conditions weren't clear enough, there, there were a lot of problems in terms of trying to recover, uh, in that scenario. Um, so there's also been, uh, situations where, you know, where you license, uh, your goods and don't have clarity around your terms and conditions as to what are the limitations on that license as well. Wow. Yeah. That's, and that's uh, something that you never really want to see your business, um, happen well, to your absolutely. business. Absolutely. And, you know, you can't, um, 
like I said, with regards to personal information, the, you, it's it's not just whether you're breaking the law. It's also a reputational thing as well. Uh, it impacts your brand reputation. If somebody or more than one somebody starts complaining that you're spamming them or you're sending them emails or you've used their personal information without their permission um, in a way that they hadn't granted permission. So having those things in place um, gives protects you. Uh, as much as it uh, d- improves the customer or user experience as well. Yes, and I think so. I've done a lot of crisis communication uh, work over the years and I find you know, a lot of this stuff falls into um, trying to protect businesses, you know, being proactive rather than reactive, as you say, because there is so much that can go wrong that businesses, a lot of business owners go, oh, well, we've got insurance. Um, unfortunately, with things along those these lines, you know, insurance isn't going to ever protect your reputation or your credibility or trust. Correct. Um, so that's why I, yeah, I'm a firm believer in having privacy policies and, and terms and conditions and even terms of use policies on, on websites, absolutely. on every website. Yes, absolutely. And, it, and, and, you know, like we've said already a few times here that it's, um, when you have all of those things in place, they're kind of like setting boundaries and expectations with the user as well. Uh, and it's a two-way street uh, uh, in terms of what you put out there. You're protecting your own content and you're also giving comfort to the user that, hey, this is a legitimate website and they're going to, you know, they're going to do the right thing by me if there's a issue with a return or a refund or, you know, my personal information, you know, all those things that will give them comfort as well. Yeah. Do you know how many people actually, you know, look at the privacy policy in terms and conditions? It would I would think it wouldn't be terribly many. I don't think it would be terribly many, to be honest, but it's nice to see that, you know, when you go onto somebody's website and you see their footers and they've got these things that legitimizes them along with those security icons, um, you know, indicating that you've got secure SSL, for example, or um, you know, uh, there's a contact op- option to be able to contact you, uh, and all of those things, they all lend kind of legitimacy, whether they're read in the entirety or not. Yes, yes, absolutely. And look, I agree. And, and also, as you said before, Google, the likes of Google and Facebook and, um, things actually require you to have these documents on your website. So absolutely. Yes. Um, I know when I set up my Facebook page and linked it to the things I needed to link it to, I needed to also link my pr- uh, privacy policy as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a very important thing to remember. Um, now, sometimes in conditions, policies have clauses about needing to be over the age of 18 to purchase. Um, what type, you know, do you, is that something you put in your policies or what types of businesses would you recommend um, that have these? So I, I tend to include it in all terms and conditions, to be honest, um, because you can't really contract with somebody under age. Um, you would need a parent or guardian uh, to, um, you know, consent to that. Uh, so, and, and to be honest, th- well, there's that aspect. But also if you run a website that requires uh, somebody, you know, who's a, you know, considered to be an adult to purchase from you, whether that's alcohol, for example, or uh, other similar things, then 
then it becomes a, a, a real requirement there. Obviously, you know, um, you've got scenarios where children have cards and, um, and yeah. can go and purchase <laughs> as well. But as long as you've done your best with your terms and conditions to say, hey, you have to be 18 or over, um, and then, um, uh, you know, you can't police every single person. Um, but you, you certainly set, you know, your intent that this website and the purchases are uh, for anyone over the age of 18. And, um, and like I said, you know, if there is a problem with the terms and conditions, you can't, you're going to have problems enforcing that against a minor. Yes, yes. So no, that's that's good to know because I know you know there are some websites that are designed for kids, and but I suppose at the end of the day, it is the purchasing behaviour of over eighteens, um, rather than yep, yeah, you're not talking about um, yes. them just looking at it. Correct, and also you know um, typically um, when you think about, it, there's some wonderful websites out there now offering, um, for example, entrepreneurial. Uh, lessons um, for children, as an example, well, they still require the parent to sign up on behalf of the child, you know, or there's those educational, uh, other educational websites, you know, that if you want to do extra math tuition or whatever it might be, it requires the parent to sign up on behalf of the child, even though the child will be using the service. Yes, I think that's um, that's a very good thing to to know and and to clear up and and make sure that it actually is in um, everyone's privacy. Oh, not privacy policies, terms and conditions. So that's really good. Now, is there anything else people should know about their website legal documents before we move on to talking about trademarks? Um, just trying to think. As long as you have them, as long as you have clarity and and make sure. The other thing you can do is anything that's kind of a frequently asked question, have an FAQ page and drop the extra FAQs in there as and when you can. Make sure you have a clear return refund policy, depending on the nature of the service or products that you sell. You know, be clear on all those things. Think, put yourselves in the shoes of the consumer and what's that experience going to look like, uh, you know, for them. And make sure that it's it's it boils down to being transparent, setting expectations and boundaries between you and that end user. Yes, well, that's all very good advice, and um, I, I think people will have um, be good for them to actually go and have a look at their websites and review them and, and see where they can improve. Because at the end of the day, we can always improve everything we're doing. I feel absolutely big no. believe in that. Yep. Okay, so let's talk trademarks. There is this assumption out there that <clears throat> registering a business name should legally protect that name from being used by others. So why should business owners spend the time and the money securing a trademark, do you think? Okay, so um, when you register a business name through ASIC, um, it does not give you exclusive rights to that name. The only way you can really get exclusive rights is to register a trademark. Um, and, you know, small businesses, um, you know, need to start thinking big, uh, not small, if that makes sense. Because yep. with, with a registered trademark, you're building a brand. Um, look at all the famous um, trademarks out there like Tiffany & Co., uh, Coca-Cola, um, you know, to name just two, um, or, or Nike or Adidas, etc., um, they all started somewhere. They, uh, and, and in order to protect that name, that brand, and, uh, and protect yourself from competitors using the same name, for example, as you, 
uh, it's important to register a, a trademark to protect uh, your exclusive rights to that name. And that's the only way you can do it is through registering a trademark. Yeah. And is that something that um, from, say, from an Australian point of view, you would register it in Australia, not uh, just – oh, sorry. Would you register it in Australia as well as overseas or – So if you plan to go international – and wish to build an international presence, then you need to consider registering your trademark, not just in Australia, but in those countries where you wish to have a presence as well. But certainly your starting point should be Australia first um, before you um, consider other countries like, like say, the US. Um, and, you know, it's uh, the, the trademark's more than just you know, your business name, it's your brand, it's an, it's an asset. Should you ever decide you want to sell the business, if you want to license your name. So, for example, if you want to set up a franchise and have people use your business name, you license the use of that name uh, as one example. Uh, it can be used as a marketing tool, you know, when there's so many competing businesses in the marketplace and it might be hard for your business to stand out. Um, and like I said, it gives you um, legal rights, giving you exclusive rights to that name as well. Um, and there's uh, lots of other things, uh, but I could be here all day talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I find these days it's so much harder to actually find a unique business name, like setting up businesses for people, um, because there are so many more businesses now than there was, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago. And it includes all those failed businesses as well yeah. yeah and I I look at um I, I know quite a few instances of businesses with the difference in their business names is so close it is just not funny and they yeah. might be in the same town or yeah. in you know they might operate in the same town or be nearby but the problem is if one of them's very reputable and been around forever and the, there's a new one that comes along and they're yep not so good um it's very easy for people to get confused and for for the other one to actually damage your own your reputation without that trademark Correct. And look, you know, you can rely on um, uh, common law called passing off. Uh, I won't go into a lot of detail around there, but if you've been around long enough, you can potentially rely on that and, and argue that, you know, the other business is being misleading uh, uh, and, and, and deceptive and trading off your goodwill. But it's a harder proposition and a more expensive one than if you'd mm. already had a registered trademark that you can rely on. And look, having a registered trademark, there's many benefits, both legal and non-legal, when you register it. You're providing your business, like I said, with a key marketing tool that helps build that brand identity, that value in your business. Um, and, and, and it gives you those legal rights to authorize others to use. So giving you an example of um, Disney. Um, Disney is in the field of making movies, cartoons, um, not dolls and blankets and, you know, and all those other wonderful things. So they yep. license that use to others and make a lot of money doing that. Um, and, and, and like I said, you could potentially prevent competitors from copying and using your trademark to their advantage as well. Um, so, yeah, so there's so many benefits rather than negatives. And it, it becomes part of the asset of your business. So if you were to want to sell it one day, you know, it's a valuable asset. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And what about um, talking about sort of the cost side of things? Where do you, you know, how much does it cost? Um, I know there'll probably be a very big variation, but say in Australia, um, how much does it cost to actually register a trademark? Oh, it can cost a couple of thousand dollars. It depends on whether you're um, uh, DIYing it or whether you're going to uh, a trademark attorney slash lawyer to assist you. And the the pricing varies. Um, so you've got the government fees uh, as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you would have legal fees as well. Or you can DIY it, but you would have to spend a fair bit of time making sure you understand what the requirements are in order to make sure, you know, is your name unique enough? Have you chosen and uh, selected the right classes of goods and services that apply to what you plan to do? Um, so there's a number of um, moving parts to uh, registering a trademark. So if you feel confident uh, to do it yourself, y- yes, you can save on legal fees, but you still have to pay the government fees regardless. Um, alternatively, you can seek um, the assistance of a trademark attorney or uh, a lawyer who's, who, you know, uh, registers trademarks um, to help support you in doing that. Yeah. I, am I correct in saying that I think in the US is it actually a, a cheaper, um, it's cheaper to register a trademark there or did I just read that somewhere? Um, <laughs> one day? I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I couldn't vouch for that. I don't believe that's the case. I, be, I also understand they have their own fees as well, government fees separate to any legal fees. Um, and uh, I doubt that that is the case uh, to register a trademark in Australia uh, yourself. So the cost can start at couple of hundreds, let's say 250, 300 for just one class of goods and services to a couple of thousand, depending on how many classes of goods and services you need, together with if you've utilised the services of a uh, a lawyer. Oh, wow. Now, how should a small business or an entrepreneur decide on whether or not it's worth registering a trademark? Ah, oh, that's a tricky question because <laughs> how long's a piece of string? It depends yes. on each individual. It depends on what their plans are for their business, their strategy for their business, um, and whether this, you know, wants to make sure they have exclusive rights to that business name as well. Um, you know, you, you, there's some wonderful brands out there, Aussie ones as well. When you think about it, you know, um, that, uh, go to skincare, Frank, is it Frankie? Frank body or Frankie body. I can never remember which way around it is. Yeah, something. Um, there's yep. lot, yeah. So there's lots of skincare brands out there that, um, you know, have protected their name through trademark registration to make sure nobody else then copies them. So if those businesses had waited until they were super successful, um, they would be spending a lot of money trying to get that trademark if, even if they were, uh, and that's to not saying that they would be successful either. Yeah. Um, so it becomes more expensive uh, to be reactive than it is to be proactive. But the question would be, it, it might not be right for every single business out there to register their trademark straight away. It, it's going to depend on their individual circumstances, what their plans are for that business, whether they want to retain exclusive rights and have a head start with their business and grow that brand and business. Yeah. Are there... There seems to be, if you go and actually have a look at um, 
the what's it called? Is it IP Australia um, yes. website? So I know when we're coming up with business names for for new businesses, you always go and um, you always go and have a look at. Um, what has been registered, what is trademarked to make sure you're not infringing on anyone else's trademark. But there seems to be a lot that actually get rejected. Do you think, do most get rejected, do you think, or? It depends on, um, you know, whether you've done a proper due diligence, as I call it. So have you checked, um, you know, uh, social media handles? Have you checked domain URLs? Have you checked the ASIC register? Have you done a Google search? Have you, you know, gone to IP Australia and done a trademark search to make sure that the name you've come up with is unique enough? And you don't want a name, but then you can't get the domain or the social handles. You want all of them, you know. So um, the more chances of success are if you have a rather unique name. Uh, you'll be more ch- have more chances of success than a generic name. And you need to, um, you know, obviously check out, um, IP Australia's got some wonderful resources, definitely worth checking out uh, my website. I've got lots of blog articles and checklists, etc. Um, all free resources there as well. Um, but if you're thinking of a name, you know, and you come across, uh, you love the name before you spend the money and before you announce it to the world, do all your due diligence first. And, and, and that's, um, you know, Google searches, social media searches, um, like I said, domain URL searches, go to net registry or crazy domains or whatever and type in the URL, make sure it's available. Uh, Facebook pages, if you want that Facebook page name to match up with everything else, um, you do all of those searches as well as the IP Australia register search. And it doesn't take long at all to actually find out that information. That might take you an hour to do all of that. Um, it's a ve- It'll take a bit of time, but yes, you need to make sure, you know, uh, also you might want to think about um, spelling variations as well. Yes, very true. And, and what about... Um, with trademark applications themselves, is there any other things that um, are common common problems or common things that people don't do or do wrong um, that actually gets their application rejected? Well, typically, if it, if they haven't done that due diligence around the name and made sure that nobody else has it, and also um, the classifications and what classification they've used as well, because um, there's 45 different classes of goods and services. You can't register them all. A, it's bloody yeah. expensive. <laughs> and B, uh, you would be rejected because it, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you see what I mean, IPS Radio will take back any classes you've registered for that you've never used. Ah, okay. Yep, that's very interesting to know. Because somebody can put, yeah, well, somebody can put in an application. If they see you've got, say, five classes of goods and services and somebody comes along and thinks, well, I want to operate in this class and this business, they do a little bit of digging around and discover you've never used it. They can file an application through IP Australia and have that removed from you. Ooh, there you go. Just be mindful. This is why I always talk to my clients and say to them, hey, What's your business strategy? What are your plans for your business? You know, what kind of goods and services do you have in mind? How do you see your business growing? And what, you know, I ask them all these questions as well as, you know, what the talk about the name and are they truly wedded to it if it's already registered? And what, you know, what's the strategy? And try not to spend too much money on the logo before you've done all of that. 
<laughs> yes, very, very good advice there. So, now you did talk about a few tools and resources um, that would be helpful for the trademarking as well as for your privacy policies and legal documents. Um, have you got any other, you know, favourites that you that you love to use that you think would be helpful to to the listeners? Um, so IP Australia is a good uh, uh, resource. Um, there's, um, some resources, like I said, on my website, there's also, um, I'm trying to think there's a copywriting website as well. I'll have to send it to you, uh, that has some great resources, uh, and, and information to educate, uh, your clients on as well, um, that I'm happy to share. Um, so, you know, if you, if you can do those things, um, before you get wedded to your name, Mm-hmm. Uh, and do that due diligence, then uh, that's a, a great starting point. Fantastic. Look, I'll um, put that uh, website links and, and all of your links up onto the show notes uh, on the website so that people can, can access those. But look, where can um, people connect with you online? Um, well, I can be found on Instagram at findwith2dslegal. Um, I can also be, uh, find out via the website. So same Monica, findlegal.com. Uh, uh, and there's, like I said, lots of, uh, free resources and checklists. In fact, we've got infographic on the spam act. So if anybody's not sure, uh, about commercial, uh, marketing, uh, emails, um, then that's a handy little infographic there as well. Oh, without a doubt, because the Spam Act isn't the easiest thing to understand. So an an infographic would be great. Uh, (laughs) Yes, well, look, I will put links to to all of those. Um, So that'll be wonderful so people can connect with you. But look, Riz, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and for sharing all of your knowledge. And I really hope, and I, well, look, I know how much this is actually going to help so many people in business. And because at the end of the day, we want to protect them. I don't want to be, um, you, you and I don't want to be doing the reactive stuff. Uh, it's much easier and much nicer to be proactive at the end of the day. Absolutely. And it's less expensive. <laughs> without a doubt so <laughs> but um thank you very much and um i hope we'll actually be talking to you again soon because there is uh so much that marketing and legal um that um we need to do oh absolutely my pleasure thank you so much for having me Nikki. thanks for listening to the simply standout marketing podcast Head over to simplystandoutmarketing.com for the show notes, downloads, and even more great stuff to help you grow your business with marketing made simple.